WMHHFM's 103.5 Just in Time Conversations. I'm your host, Justin Farmer, inviting you to be in community with us in conversations about ideas with people who matter or making a difference. Today, our guest is Nate Blair, entrepreneur, New Haven man. Thank you, Nate. Uh, thank you for coming into the studio today. Thanks for having me, Justin. Uh, always a pleasure to talk to you. So you, I, I've known you for a long time as one of the faces of New Haven. And so I, I wanted to have you on. And so I just, you know, what do you love about New Haven? What makes like, I mean, um, like I'm from New Haven. So uh, there's a level of, of love that, you know, it's just, uh, there's a base level, uh, growing up here, you know, uh, I, I rep New Haven. Uh, but I would say like the thing I've come to appreciate, like in a deep level of love, mm. uh, in terms of New Haven, uh, is the people here and like the fact that it is actually a diverse space. Um, it might be a bit segregated, but if you can cross over, there are a lot of people who are like really ambitious in mm. really like wholesome ways, you know, really trying to find like their place in the world. And in that sense, I think like New Haven has this underlying love and like New England's kind of like a tough cookie just in general, <laughs> you know, like uh, I feel shout uh, to Ethan from <laughs> Uh, just being New Haven, being uh, uh, a part of New England, a part of the tri-state, I feel like everybody uh, has to like hustle. But I feel like uh, truly underneath it all, uh, in New Haven, people care about each other and uh, want to be better and do better. You know, I, I I I joke as I'm getting older. I'm just like, man. I really love this, like, I really love, you know, greater New Haven, this area, right? We're in between Boston, in between New York, D.C., six hours away, Philly's four hours away, um, in our own backyard, right? Like, you go to Woodbridge, hit up that, like, Waterfall Creek, right? And go, like, an hour out to, like, Washington, Connecticut, like, you got all these woods, right? Um you know, you go down to Bridgeport and it's just like Seaside Park, right? Um, and so you have everything, right? Like everything is here. In Connecticut. In Connecticut. Oh, yeah. But like also growing up being here, it's like, man, I'm trying to get out of Connecticut. I'm like, man, this is like, this is a spot to raise a family. Like This is like. Well, so yeah, that that is a kind of funny <laughs> aspect maybe of the ambition. Uh, I feel like uh, in that respect, New Haven, but a lot of, I feel like coastal Connecticut, uh, it's like an incubator in and of itself, you know, like everyone's looking to be at, like, get their stuff together here as the launch pad, mm -hmm. you know, uh, 
it's funny, for example, when you think about bands or famous people, they're never from Connecticut, even if they are. It's <laughs> always it's always from New York or from Boston or went to this school or like, you know, like some some weighty point outside of Connecticut, because, yeah, uh, I feel as though a lot of people treat Connecticut as their incubation space. And then as like actualized people, they step out into the world, you know, um, and uh, I, I think that's kind of a problem, too. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, I, I've always joked that, like, the amount of things that low key happen here in Connecticut, specifically in like the New Haven, like, I was like, yeah, I'm a proud socialist. Like, and someone's making a joke like, oh, like, you guys are probably the most famous socialists that have ever been in Hamden. It's like, Cornell West low-key lived in Hamden for like seven years. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. Or it's like, uh, yeah, the Black Panther Party was just alive in Bridgeport. You know, like one of the strongest organizing places for the Black Panther Party. And it's just like, The Panther what? Trials here on the New Haven Green, right? Um, right. But like, I feel when people bring that up, they uh, almost a point is missed that that was the whole state coming together. Like that wasn't just the Black Panther Party in New Haven. Yeah, like was, everyone came down, that, and that it's a demonstration of yeah, just how organized as a state we were at a certain point. So I, I think you know, grew up here, right? Transplanted to Hamden, um, early two thousand, um, and so Newhallville, Newhall, all the same to me. Um, but New Haven, I grew up with, right. With the mall downtown, with the horse, uh, the equestrian police, right. The trolleys is much different than New Haven today. And so how has New Haven changed for you? Well, I mean, I mean, I I mean, so, uh, I'm 31, uh, and, uh, being the age that I am, I feel like I've seen New Haven go through a lot of changes, but I imagine just about anybody uh, who's lived in New Haven could say the same thing if they'd lived here by the age 31, like at any point in time. New Haven has been, uh, at least architecturally, it's been radically changing for a long time. Mm. Um, but yeah, uh, in terms of like, so uh, I grew up on Mansfield Street. Um, and so Mansfield Street, like, was sort of a, a middle ground. It wasn't, like, exactly in a neighborhood when I was growing up. But uh, that being the case, the neighborhood that I grew up in, in the, you know, so, like, mid to late 90s, was sort of coming together to, uh, as a community, kind of to fight violence in the neighborhood you know like looking out for everybody um and there was uh a community garden that was founded hey, uh in, to the farmers yeah yeah <laughs> in the adjoin in some like adjoining backyards uh as a kid i therefore like played with all the other kids in the neighborhood in that back in the community garden um and it was a real good time mm-hmm. until uh yale bought uh maybe like 30 properties um 
on the side of the street that I uh, lived on. Is that ocean? No, it's... no, no, no. Uh, <laughs> it feels that way, right? Yeah, but they uh, evicted everybody uh, oh, o- wow. over one summer. So, like, to the degree, <laughs> to the degree where uh, the mayor's um, at the time, uh, De Stefano's uh, campaign manager was living in one of those buildings when they evicted everyone. And he was like, oh, this is screwed up. I'm going to stay in here. And they let the pipes freeze on him uh, while he was running a campaign. <laughs> uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he ended up moving into literally the front room of uh, our house for like six months or something like that right after those pipes froze. And we kept uh, his, uh, he was in, I think he was in grad school or something. We kept uh, his books in our freezer because if you put wet books in the freezer, um, slowly uh, the water will evaporate out of the books. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we kept those books in our freezer way longer than we needed to. (laughs) Uh, But this is to say that, uh, uh, like, when I was 10 years old, I went from living in a neighborhood with tons of friends, tons of people, um, to a ghost town. Like, truly, ha- like, the neighborhood had been gutted. And it had been gutted uh, as a part of a deal. And uh, I sort of came to under- uh, understand that in a better level when I was uh, a bit older, when Stefano and uh, Rick Levin were uh, both retiring uh you know after their uh score at um being leaders in new haven um and uh yeah just uh uh the arts and ideas festival uh was like oh yeah let's you know host these guys they can give a talk so i went to the talk and you know the yale art gallery auditorium there's tons of you know movers and shakers and property owners you know um and uh, the questions are already predetermined and closed. And, uh, there, you know, one of the questions gets floated. Can you remember, um, time where you guys really worked together on something? Uh, and then they talked about destroying my neighborhood. Mm. Uh, and, uh, the Stefano was basically like, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Yale wanted to buy this street. Uh, we were getting rid of these projects and we were like, yeah, uh, you can buy that street if you put a police precinct over there. And like, you know, everyone's all like happy and shit. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah. And like, meanwhile, to me, yeah, that was the absolute decimation of a neighborhood. And this neighborhood, like in terms of the people who lived there, in terms of the high rises at the bottom of the hill and the people who lived there, like. When a lot of black folk moved to New Haven. Uh, that's the neighborhood that they moved to because of the firearms factory. Um, and in that regard, a lot of these people came from uh, down south. And we're talking about, I think, like the 40s to the 70s. Yeah. And so, like, yeah, that might be a long time ago now, but, you know, 25 years ago, 20 you know, two years ago, uh, we're talking about people who, you know, basically still had family around and they may not have grown up in North Carolina, but they had family in North Carolina. And so when 
people got evicted, they got vouchers to move. And so a lot of them didn't have anywhere to move in New Haven and they moved down south. And so like, this is truly uh, like a deportation almost of uh, people within our own city. Um, and that's where like, I appreciate that everyone needs somewhere to live. Right. You know, um, I appreciate that Yale grad students need somewhere to live. I truly believe that anyone should be able to live anywhere, Thanks. you know, um, but sort of when big institutions move like that, when uh, a whole community is just demolished, it's like without any care or thought for people or their lives, that's like true violence. And like that is sort of, yeah, when people talk about gentrification, there's a there's a flow of space where just things are going to change. Like, I can't, you know, we can't prevent that from happening. Uh, and again, if we want people to live wherever they want to live, we have to accept the fact that neighborhoods are going to change. Um, but yeah, it doesn't have to be in this wholesale way or this sort of institutionally planned uh, way in the way that it just historically has. No, that's true. For y'all who are just joining us, you are listening to Just In Time Conversations, WNHHFM 103.5. Your host, me, Justin Farmer, and uh, our esteemed guest, Nate Blair. Um, I want to switch a little bit directions in mm -hmm. the sense of, you know, we talked about a particular neighborhood, historically black neighborhood. Um, but like in your time traveling mm -hmm. in New Haven, right? Um, what is your favorite or what are some favorite elements uh, of different neighborhoods of New Haven? Um, I mean, it, it's funny, like New Haven actually isn't that big, but it, <laughs> it's weird how many like pockets there are to New Haven. Um, and so I would say these days, like, like I didn't know Fairhaven existed until I was 16. Uh -huh. Like, <laughs> like my ignorance was deep in terms of, uh, yeah, neighborhoods. Um, and so, uh, my partner moved to Fairhaven recently and I've been, uh, spending a fair amount of time in Fairhaven and it's truly beautiful. Uh, uh -huh. really beautiful. Also, um, there's a lot of like, like just old industrial buildings there that make me think of the opportunity that New Haven could have if it uh, focused less on catering towards Yale and a little more on some true uh, infrastructure that could have like real jobs for New Haven people that isn't solely dependent on, on the Yale apparatus. The gentrification is a platter? <laughs> well, it's just, yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> would you like some gentrification? Yeah, I mean, and that's where it's just like uh, the uh, yeah, Fairhaven. Uh, sorry, Fairhaven. Looking at Fairhaven, it's beautiful. Like it's beautiful. The people there uh, are great. Also, very friendly. Um, also, uh, you can tell that, and like this is true everywhere in New Haven. Uh, but I feel like because for some reason the streets are like twice as wide and like half the streets in Fairhaven you really get to see how people take care of like and take pride in their space. And yeah, some people don't, 
you know, but like you can, yeah, you can really see it when, uh, you actually have some space to walk and like, there aren't trees like blocking out all the light and stuff. You can see that people really, yeah, care about their neighborhood. Yep. Definitely. Place. Tons of great eateries, tons of oh, local. My God. Shout out to Rocco's bakery. So, uh, <laughs> Fairhaven also is the neighborhood. I'm sorry with the best food in New Haven right now. Uh, uh, a lot of uh, downtown has fallen into disrepair when it comes to food. Fairhaven holds strong. Shout out to New Hall. Shout out to my man, Ricky D. <laughs> oh, yo, Ricky D. Shout out to Ricky D. Uh, that's delicious. Highly recommend it. Um, and also great people there. Um, so I, I have known you throughout the years to just be entrepreneur. Um, uh, let's see grinder as hustling has negative connotations but um remember you like doing the coffee shop and these days i've seen you doing the uh thrifting and so like you know how did you decide to like start doing business and like what what advice would you give to other people who are like i want to do general Uh, words of wisdom uh I've worked in the service industry my whole life. Um, that has gotten a little bit more recognition, I think, in the last few years. But, like, realistically, um, what I believed my career would be would be being a restaurateur. And then, uh, yeah, yeah, I was working at Mia's. Things were good. Uh, then things changed. Uh, and so I really had to stop and think about uh, like what it is I'm working towards. Like, uh, do I actually want to do this? I'd been working there since I was a teenager. So like, so like since I was 16, so so much of my identity was sort of tied into my work. Mm. Uh, like there wasn't really much of a difference between work and play. And, uh, I was like, oh man, uh, like does this mean that the thing that I'm passionate about like is like gone? Do I no longer like have a focus or have a purpose? And so like, uh, in that regard, uh, I just definitely started to take jobs where, um, I'm like, I don't want to bring work home with me. Um, like if I'm going to be working to work and not because it's what I'm passionate about and what I care about, I want to go home and like have work be done when I'm home, you know? Uh, and in doing that, it did give me and like pursuing, yeah, trying to pursue roles at jobs that didn't actually require more of me. I feel like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, uh, there'd be a push and pull where, uh, employers would want maybe to take on some more me to take on more responsibility or show that I was able to take on more responsibility, but like never once would they bring up compensation. And so like I'd already been horribly burned in that regard. Like I wasn't fool enough to take something on like that without something uh, in exchange because it actually has a cost. And that cost uh, is stressing out about work when you're not there. Mm-hmm. And so not taking on those kind of roles and instead taking my free time and uh, exploring things that I'm interested in. And so that's where I would go. 
uh, my advice for people who are interested in starting like a small business is honestly take it at your own pace. Like, uh, the things that I am currently interested in doing business with right now, it's like two dozen, you know, like, uh, I'd love, for example, um, to do little tea ceremonies. Like I collect tea. I enjoy teapots. I think, you know, like, uh, I think that would be really good. You know, I make hard cider. Uh, I'd love to have, uh, like to tea an apple. Well, well, yeah. Uh, well, so these are all things that like, I'm in no hurry to get done, you know, like, mm. uh, but it's like, I make hard cider. Like I c- would love to do apple pressing parties. I have an apple press, you know, uh, but I'm not personally, I'm the way in which I approach it is I'm not in a rush. Um, and it used to really stress me out that I couldn't get things done in rush timetables mm. because around here everyone's you got to deliver you got to deliver on time you have to have these timetables that look really good you know the, those curves got to go up you know uh and that's where um yeah taking it at my pace and like when i say that i mean sometimes like it's really easy to get discouraged like for example i was working on a project um and uh, the printer that I was working on. Uh, so like I was trying to burn a screen. So like I was trying to make a graphic for a t-shirt and I needed to print that graphic first. The printer didn't work. And so it's really easy to just like give up then and then feel shame for giving up then, you know, like, so it's like, ah, man, I can't do this. Walk away. And then you think about it before and you're like, oh man, am I really like committed? I'm not because I, I just walk away in small moments. And it's like, no, no, no. Like you were frustrated. Take it at your own pace. If you have to return to it in a week, two weeks, three weeks over a tiny little thing, that's actually fine. Like take it at your own pace. Take it at your own pace. And so what, how, like how did you get into thrifting with the, What's the thrift? I mean, so I've I've always loved clothes, uh, but uh, in that sense, uh, honestly, um, when like I would say a couple, like maybe like six months before uh, COVID popped, uh, my roommate started selling clothes online, and so in them selling clothes online. I was already with them. We were already going to Goodwill all the time. And I was just looking for stuff for myself. That was really cool. I was thinking about making clothes. So I was grabbing materials for making clothing. And then COVID hit. And it was, oh, yeah, like a little before COVID, I like found some cool things. I listed them because it it seemed cool to do at the time, too. Uh <laughs> And like, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, this is like Instagram, but for clothing. Oh, nice. I'm going to take some photos of what I got and sell it, you know. Uh, And so then, uh, yeah, uh, once COVID popped off, uh, I had a bit more time because, again, my side, like most of my jobs have been related to um, the service industry. And so 
there really wasn't anything to do. And uh, so, yeah, I just uh, started going to Goodwill more often and then selling more clothes online. And then, uh, like, it just surprised me uh, because people were buying the clothes that I was... <laughs> I was selling and like I hadn't uh, unlike uh, anything sort of like restaurant related um, where it's like, Oh yeah. You know, I, I could have faith that I can make a good drink and, you know, sell it and someone could have a good interaction. Like I had no faith that people were just interested in the clothes that I was interested in, you know, like I'm like, yeah, well, we'll see what happens. And, you know, people started buying it. and that was uh, definitely uh, encouraging. Um, and yeah, encouraging enough where when things opened up, uh, again, I was able to, um, pop up and, uh, sell clothes in person. And I feel like in person, I'm just much more interactive and, uh, therefore like it's stimulating, uh, in a, in a more, yeah, fulfilling way versus just like selling clothes online. I, I think, well, you know, the fact that yesterday was Labor Day, right? Um, mm -hmm. And talking about how labor should be respected, right? Like mm -hmm. there, there's a great deal of, of time and talent and anything, right? Expertise, right? Like, I don't know the best time to go to the Goodwill. I don't know, like, which one's got the, mm -hmm. you know, the the good stuff versus like oh you gotta wait until thursday oh no i'll i'll straight up i'll blow up my own spot i'll piss everyone off uh at goodwill by just blowing up the spot because honestly uh two things one more people need to be uh using secondhand materials so like Thanks. uh it, even if it's to my detriment because you got the piece i would have sold uh at the end of the day it's being worn on a person and therefore mission accomplished, you know, and two, I just don't think you can do is what I can do in that space. Uh, mm. <laughs> like I'm confident in my abilities to find things and stuff like that. And so, uh, that being the case, uh, it's the Hamden, uh, outlet on state street. Um, that, that's the spot. It's by weight. No, is that a counterweight? No, it's, uh, <laughs> no. no, it's what is, it's no worries brewery over there. Can't remember. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's right over there. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, but all that to say, right, is that you know this work is so important. And so, remember, I think it was this week, right? We were just chatting it up, and you know, I think you know, like, do you feel there's a town and gown relationship, and do you feel like there's a I don't know. There are sometimes I wonder, ponder how much space there is for New Haveners versus New Haveners affiliated with Yale, right? And like what <laughs> yeah. that space looks like, how to. Right? Also, uh, so what one thing that I think is important in that respect is that New Haven is not downtown. It's not even, it's not even simply not Yale. New Haven's not downtown. Um, and most people who live in New Haven, their interaction with Yale is, it's like a name that owns property in the area. And like, you know, sometimes interact with people who work at Yale, you know, but it's not, 
like in the like in respect to town and gown i just feel that yale doesn't even do enough for the people of new haven where they can turn to the where they can turn to yale and be like man like i want to be more a part of this or like oh i need to sort of uh tailor my life around what's happening at yale because it's so interesting or because it's so actually impactful to my life it, it it's weird in that it's like a settler like it's like a colony within you know it's not it doesn't actually in interact with the neighborhoods of new haven and that's where like yes big time in the respect of i think generally what you're saying like of town and gown of like there's the inside crew and the people who know how to play the yale game uh and then there's everybody else but that everybody else live full awesome lives in new haven and like uh, Yale could be doing way more about, you know, making those lives better. But I just like, for example, if let's say uh, New Haven had a football team, okay, like a national football team, okay, um, and there would be the people who were related to that football team and then the people who weren't. But everyone in New Haven who wasn't related to that football team would still love that football team, still talk about that football team all the time, still be interacted with it because the football team does provide something for the community in a way that they, they want it in. They want to be more enfranchised. Yale doesn't do that at all. You know, not to be too doggish, but, uh, to speak on the bull. No, <laughs> no, I, I, I feel that where I, you know, like I, I think there's an opportunity for more of us to be proud of the city, to be proud of the area, right? And as a Hamdenite, right? Like, I think one of the weird things I constantly think about is how much of my constituency is determined on New Haven, and and in some great extent to Quinnipiac and, and Yale. And so for me, I'm always just like, how do we have that vibrant, like Fair Haven, for instance, is very insular in the sense that there's very, there's a lot of people who have their own businesses. There mm -hmm. is generational wealth. There's generational connection that like, I don't feel there's that same thing with like right Newhall had Winchester and when Winchester left, mm -hmm. right? That identity of the neighborhood, that capital left. And then it's just like, okay, well, now we all have to figure out, right? And and, and looking at the data. So well, so I mean, I feel like I'm not speaking literally on new haven's history when i say this um so i i want to be careful not to like uh sort of project a, a history that may not be there in new haven but just like in a larger sense uh black people have been uh, oppressed uh, have not been allowed to be business owners in that sense have not been allowed to move into the areas that they wanted to move into uh one of my friend's dad's uh or sorry grandfather uh bought a house on winchester uh, he was a black man. He owned a bar in Hamden. Uh, and every one of his tenants moved out because they didn't want a black landlord. And so like in terms of 
it's like moving forward maybe we can have more faith that that kind of interaction is not going to be the one you know so it's like it's not i don't think it's that you know necessarily the black community in new haven was ever doing anything wrong mm. you know it's that we have a system that has waged war on it and so it's just when you're constantly in a state of yeah war you you don't get to build businesses and have you know uh the same sort of generational um community protections and like that's where uh there's cer- there certainly are multi-generational um black families in new haven who you know have been here for a very very long time um but yeah like that doesn't mean also that they haven't too been persecuted in in various ways and that you know like it does yeah you know it doesn't mean they haven't hit their glass ceiling in various uh ways either what does the future of downtown look like like what would that i would say the beloved community right like what is that vision that brings all of us together and living our best lives like what what does that look like for Nate Blair? Oh, uh, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I rant a lot. Um, my, my girlfriend has to deal with that a lot. Um, and in those rants, um, I often su- supplant, uh, uh, the, if I could is, uh, if I was, uh, the supreme ruler of, uh, New Haven or the supreme ruler of Connecticut, which is a very dangerous way to think about things. Authoritarianism is bad, folks. But yeah. just for uh, the sake of dreaming, uh, I would love for New Haven to spend more interest and time on having designated bus lanes than designated bike lanes. Uh, I just think that uh, public transit and bus transit would like is super important. Having buses that run on time is super important. Uh, I think that like the statistics around bicycles are a bit conceited because it already just implies a failing public transit in- infrastructure. Like, uh, like the fact that you know, of how many people ride bicycles in big cities and need bicycles in order to get to their jobs. It's like, yeah, if the bus ran on time, they wouldn't take a bicycle. Like it'd be worth their money. You know, like it, when you have to travel a long distance, we're talking about people who are commuting on bicycles hours, hours a day, hours, plural. It's because the buses are not reliable. You know, it's because, and so like in that respect, I just, uh, I would love downtown to be like walking only and public transit. And then, uh, yeah, we should have bicycle lanes. I'm not saying we should. I'm just saying, uh, it's completely missing the point. Public mm-hmm. transit is the point. No, I, I as one who often, right? I, mm-hmm. every, y'all were all laughing when I came into the studio, all ponchoed up on the one wheel. And it's just like, cool, to your point, if I could catch a reliable bus and be like, cool, if I leave at this time, I'm going to get here by this time to, right? Yeah golden but if it's like yeah i'm waiting 20 minutes god forbid if you need a transfer right right 
And, and so, yeah. That yeah. sounds like the beloved community to me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I'm like, that's the beloved, right? Like, reliable transit, that's the beloved community. Um, I, as, as someone who moves around, right? Um, I guess I'll ask this question first. Um, you have been known to be in the Wooster community, right? Um, <laughs> you can put it like that. Sure. Yeah. Um, and, and one of those things about communities changing and things changing, right, was like the Columbus statue coming down. And, and it was just one of those moments where so much was going on, right? George Floyd protests, all these other things. And then this conversation about this statue and then the conversation of like what replaces it or what goes there. And mm-hmm. so as someone who is intimately part of the conversation. That's funny. <laughs> uh, I will say, yeah, I, I've lived in the Whistler neighborhood now for, I think, seven years. Uh <laughs> Uh, which unfortunately um, makes me one of the like on uh, like on Worcester Street, the street I live on. It makes me like one of the sort of older residents. Like there's a there's a like condos and like those people uh, have been there for a while, like sort of halfway down the street. But it's interesting because uh, growing up, I used to think of Worcester as one of the most tight knit uh, like communities that you know wasn't going anywhere you know and Mm. meanwhile yeah i mean i i have all sorts of ideas about why that happened um the main one being like being ghettoized is how often those communities come to get that solidified Mm. and then when you get enfranchised into whiteness you don't need to be ghettoized anymore and like when you're enfranchised into whiteness, like you aren't limited by Italian, this, that, or the other, you, you know, can live wherever you want, you know? And so, uh, I feel like, yeah, over a couple generations of that people just, yeah, they didn't want to live in an Italian ghetto that their, their grandparents grew up in, you know, it sounds fanciful, but it does like, that's not, that wasn't their experience of that space, you know? And that's where, uh, like, yeah, it's fascinating just, yeah, how things change in that respect, you know? Um, And so, like, there's still people who live in the neighborhood who have been there, you know, a very long time um, and, like, you know, multi-generationally. But, yeah, uh, I feel like that connection has actually, a lot of that has moved out of New Haven. Uh, in terms of the uh, Italian heritage of the neighborhood. Um, And, like, things change. (laughs) You know, uh, uh, I think the Columbus statue coming down in particular was a Mm. no-brainer. I I actually don't uh, think it's controversial at all um, because that neighborhood... uh, So uh, the way I describe that neighborhood to people who aren't familiar is... Like in the early 2000s, I would have seen that. That was a sundown town. Mm. Like, like you would, like in the 90s, early, to, you would not be black in that neighborhood after dark. Like, that's how I saw the Worcester neighborhood growing up. 
So the fact that I can live there, <laughs> the fact that I walk around barefoot at night, like, like that speaks to how much the neighborhood has just radically changed. And so like uh, the idea of the statue coming down to me, if the only people that was surprising to were the Italian Americans who had moved out of the new Haven and they're like, wait, what the neighborhood changed. I go there every weekend. <laughs> exactly. Um, as we are nearing our, our time, um, I guess one of the things I always love to ask guests when they come is just like, oh, what's a song or, or that, that speaks to you as an individual or something that like reminds you of New Haven, right? Because I, uh, sure. I mean, so in terms of, uh, riffing off the, the town and gown, um, feels of New Haven, uh, I think it's just important to remember that sort of, uh, New Haven is kind of a, in some ways, one of the cradles of, uh, liberalism and liberalism <laughs> in action. Uh, and that it's important to know the difference between sort of leftist action and liberal action. So uh, I would say the song Love Me, I'm a Liberal by Phil Oaks uh, is uh, just a beautiful sort of dig at the gown. No, that, 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 uh, I don't know what it is. Like mamas and papas, like it's something that I always think of, like as soon as I hit Broadway, like that is just, I mean, there are a lot of songs that can speak to New Haven, and I had a few in my head, uh, but, but that one, yeah, after the Town & Gown conversation, yeah, that one. Nate, where can people find you? Where where can they connect with you? How can they work yeah, with um, you? I'm totally an in-person person. Okay. Um, that being the case, uh, you know, I'm outside uh, coffee every Saturday. Uh, okay. I have my pop-up there. Uh, otherwise, you can reach me at Nate Blair himself uh, on Instagram. Thank you uh, for connecting with us today on Just in Time Conversations, WNH FM 103.5. Thank you to our guest, Nate Blair. Thank you. Entrepreneur. Um, this is Justin Farmer. And until next time, let us continue to plant the seeds of change. Having sex with the same sex I show no love 
I'm belong to the dog. When the street past midnight, look for them in the mall. I don't play with these cats, I ain't got to say these cats. For the moment, they really do love them, please pray for these cats. Cause I know they all hard-headed, but I ain't got the patience. Don't want me having no patience, turning them more patience. What's up, I see you, cause I see you. Trying to get away.